Welcome to the Knowledge for Teachers podcast. My name is Brendan Lee and I'll be chatting to researchers, teachers and experts about what evidence-informed education is and the nuance involved with actually implementing effective and sustainable school-based education. Before we start, I would like to acknowledge the land that we are all on today. I am on the beautiful land of the Darug and Gundagara people in the Lower Blue Mountains of New South Wales, Australia. I would like to pay respect to the elders both past, present and emerging who are the traditional custodians of this country. As we learn together today, I would like to extend that respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. This land always was, and always will be, the land of the First Nations people. Today you'll be hearing a summary of my key takeaways from the Knowledge for Teachers podcast for 2023, as I know it's a great way for me to reflect on my own learning. I thought that some of you might also get something out of it. I've structured it in three sections. The first section will be on guests who have spoken about the science of reading. Second, second section will look at mathematics. And finally, third section will look at implementing the science of learning. So here are some of my key takeaways and considerations from guests who focused on effective reading instruction. Right from the start, Lynn Stone in episode three set the theme of how reading and writing are not simple, but how you can view them simply. And I feel this sort of way of thinking can be transferred to lots of things. It helps to have a simple way of looking or describing things, but then knowing the intricacies of how to actually enact that knowledge is next level of understanding. If you're just getting started on your science of reading journey, then episode 3 with Lynn is a great place to start. In episode 2 with Stephanie Levere, she highlighted the importance of high accuracy during fluency activities, and she also spoke about how we can use ChatGPT to develop fluency passages. A number of other guests also spoke about this. In episode 17, Christopher Such outlined how fluency is the flow of reading and we can observe accuracy, automaticity and prosody. We need it so that we have the cognitive capacity to dedicate to the process of comprehension. He also addressed the misconception that phonics is a way of teaching pupils to recognise words fluently. In fact, the job of phonics is to give students enough understanding of the common grapheme phoneme correspondences to be able to use them when engaging with the text. This was emphasised by Emeritus Professor Kevin Waldle and Dr Robin Waldle in the next episode, where they said that phonics is not a method of reading, it's a method for teaching reading. They also highlighted how we need to get kids reading a lot so that their background knowledge and vocabulary become more proficient. It might just be the space that I'm in at the moment, but there seems to be a real shift towards teachers wanting to know more about how to teach maths effectively. This year, I had the pleasure of speaking to some real maths gurus, and these were some of the points that I'd like to highlight. In episode 9, Karen Zanatopoulos mentioned the importance of the number line, visual-spatial skills, and phonological awareness, concepts that aren't often emphasised enough when we talk about early maths development. This was followed up in episode 10 with Kieran Mackle, where I shared a conversation with him after first appearing as a guest on his podcast, thinking deeply about primary education. We continued that chat, and Kieran spoke about when planning to use concrete, pictorial, or abstract representations, it's not just as simple as starting with concrete and then moving to pictorial and abstract. We need to think about the mathematical structure and what will benefit the students the most. Whatever resources we use, use it with all students, but make sure that the structure comes down. It should add to the clarity. Controversial topic in the maths world has been anxiety in math, and I love David Morkunis' analogy in episode 19 
of how if he was thrown into a year 11 German class, he would experience anxiety. But we wouldn't call it German anxiety. In episode 23, Bruno Reddy spoke about how he has applied his understanding of cognitive load theory in multi-step problems to just isolate the make-or-break decision and practice that through multiple repetitions. Also, do minimally different questions and examples so they, they can see and they can make the cognitive jump with you. Dr. Corey Peltier, in episode 27, told us how we don't have to wait for them to make mistakes for them to figure out how to correct it. We can provide worked examples up front, teach them the concept first, and then you can have them look at some worked samples and identify the errors. If we leave it up to students to figure things out when learning something new, they're going to feel frustrated, so we need to provide some sort of acquisition instruction. After developing my own knowledge of what evidence-based practice aligned to the science of learning can look like, an area that I became really interested in was around the actual implementation side of things. So when I spoke to my guests, I tried, to, I tried my best to dig into the nuances of what things actually look like in the classroom and how to enable them. In episode one, Dr. Russ Fox was able to kick things off where he got us to reflect on our expectations by asking the question, does it make their world better? And how it's not so much about changing the learner, but addressing the environment. Dr. Tim McDonald also went into detail about behaviour in schools and emphasised the need to plan and create a scope and sequence for behaviour and to think about every behaviour that students perform on a daily basis and then teach them how to do it. Tim also highlighted the difference between the really great schools is their level of consistency and that everyone does it every minute of the day in every class. Steph encouraged us to cut the fluff and use high-value instructional routines to get the biggest bang for your buck. In episode 4, Daisy Christodoulou told us how assessments operationalise the curriculum and why comparative judgement is a more effective way of marking than using traditional methods such as rubrics because rubrics give us an illusion of a shared language. Jess Kalutaradis in episode 25 also highlighted the importance of using the data to inform our decision-making process. I loved her example of the school-wide assessment team, or SWOT, who would not only plan to run the assessments, but plan in times to review the data. We also need to know what the exit criteria is to get out of intervention. She also spoke about how we need to ensure the different tiers are aligned, as there is no point only having effective teaching practices being employed in the intervention when the tier one teaching is questionable. In episode five, Tom Sherrington continued the theme of having high expectations and spoke about why every child should be able to participate without having to put their hands up and fight for attention and that they shouldn't only be allowed to participate, required to. High expectations, not many people demonstrated that more so than Manisha Gazula, but she also said now having high expectations doesn't mean that it's not done with care and empathy. In episode 6, Reed Smith told us about the importance of having a big idea as it helps constrain the other ideas and moves us from just getting our students to do things and focuses our attention on what we want them to be able to do and know by the end of the unit. On curriculum development in episode 22, Emma Turner spoke about her BASKETS acronym that highlights the different aspects that we need to take into account when planning a curriculum. It stands for behaviours, attitudes, skills, knowledge, experiences, technology, and sustainability. In episode 24, Jessica Del Rio spoke about the false dichotomy of judging success based on relative performance. He also mentioned how both Catalyst and the Literacy Guarantee Unit provide coaching for teachers to support 
the implementation of changes and relief time to get the training. It is a great way for schools to demonstrate to teachers that it is such a big priority that we will give you time off class and provide ongoing support. If you're not sure where to start when it comes to the science of learning, in episode 13, Jordan O'Sullivan spoke about how just implementing retrieval and space practice can give our students an immediate boost. I also loved his analogy of linking explicit instruction, driving a car from point to point, and how we want to take the most efficient route to decrease the extraneous load on working memory. I really enjoyed my chat with implementation scientist Dr. Rosanna Kumasidu in episode 8. Something that stuck with me was how it's not enough to just provide teachers with time to collaborate, but we need to actually teach them how to do it. In episode 20, Dr. Nathaniel Swain mentioned that while teaching students one-on-one would be ideal for being able to provide targeted support, there are some benefits of learning with a group, such as the social and intellectual benefits of hearing from other people's perspectives and learning about how other people see things. Some of the school leaders that I spoke to, such as Ross Fox, Emma Turner, Manisha Gazula and Greg Clement really emphasise the need to know what your vision is and to articulate that to the community. I loved having the opportunity to share my experiences of visiting a couple of schools in Marsden Road Public School and St Bernard's and being able to share the insights that I gained from a couple of high-performing schools. What stood out to me was the level of consistency and calmness across the schools. In episode 12, Grover Ray spoke about how new staff members are treated like apprentices and work side-by-side with experienced teachers at Marsden Road. Following the Catalyst journey from the Catholic Education Archdiocese of Canberra-Goulburn allowed me to look at the decisions that needed to be made from the top with Ross through to education lead Patrick Ellis, all the way down to what it actually looks like in the classrooms at St Bernard's. Both Ross and Patrick demonstrated how much thought had gone into their decision-making but also how it was all underpinned by a deep knowledge of how learning happens. This is the key aspect that I see missing from a lot of school leaders today, not being aware of how important it is to have that knowledge underpinning your decision making, because it allows the vision to be actioned through being intentional with time, resources and communication. A common theme that came up in a number of episodes was the importance of collaboration. Steph, Reed, and Nathaniel spoke about it and these people have also done a great deal themselves to reduce teacher workload by sharing so many resources through OCA education, reading science in schools and think forward educators. One of the things that continues to amaze me is just how much knowledge teachers need to have and how specific it needs to be. Lynn and Nathaniel spoke about how teachers need to be wordsmith so that they can teach our students to be. Greg also brought up the importance of teachers having a deep understanding of morphology and the history of our language. The mere fact that Karen Zanatopoulos' nearly two-hour-long episode on how children learn maths has had the most downloads with almost 4,000 tells us that we're not getting the knowledge that we need to teach the fundamentals. I'm in the fortunate position of working part-time as an assistant principal in a curriculum and instruction role, as well as having the opportunity to collaborate with other schools in a consultancy capacity. This has allowed me to gain a really holistic perspective on the challenges that schools face today. I've been able to see how drained teachers have been feeling due to the teacher shortages and the flow-on effect that can have. I've also seen how you can have the best resource schools, but if teachers aren't open to change, then it's still unlikely to happen. As Lynn Stone mentioned, when teaching teachers, we need to avoid drive-by PD. I've learned about the importance of ensuring that we follow effective teaching strategies, such as sequencing concepts in small steps, using retrieval practice, 
checking for understanding and allowing time for teachers to develop fluency. It's not just knowledge that we're trying to build, but cognitive biases and ineffective teaching habits that we're trying to overcome. And we need to check for understanding by following up on what is actually happening in the classroom. The caveat from this podcast is that the things I have mentioned today were my key takeaways. We're all at different stages of the novice to expert continuum, and knowledge is also the main specific. So, it's highly unlikely that my key takeaways would be the same as your key takeaways. So I'd highly recommend that you go back and listen to any of the episodes that piqued your interest. Finally, the first year of the Knowledge for Teachers podcast has had 27 episodes, 28 if you include this one, and over 61,000 listeners. So I just wanted to thank you for learning with me this year. I've loved hearing stories from people about how you've really valued the podcast and I look forward to sharing many more in the future. I'd really appreciate it if you could continue to help me in sharing the podcast with other educators and feel free to get in touch with any questions or suggestions. However, that's it from me for today. And as always, stay curious, keep learning and teach with purpose. Bye for now.